All right, we are back. We got about 10 or 11 minutes to go, and I think we will start out with an obituary. We will also end with an obituary. The one we will start with is Chaleo Uvidya. And no, I'd never heard of him either. But Mr. Uvidna was a poor Thai duck farmer with little formal education who founded a small pharmaceutical company in the early 1960s. He began producing antibiotics, but later turned to concocting a beverage loaded with caffeine, as well as an amino acid called taurine, and a carbohydrate called glucuronolactone. He called it Krathing Dying in Thailand, which in the Thai language means Red Bull. He marketed it to laborers and truckers who were in need of a boost. The drink became popular among working-class Thais. But the reason it's in all of our stores in America was because in 1982, an Austrian toothpaste salesman named Dietrich Mottenschutz stumbled across Krating Dying and discovered that it would relieve his jet lag. He and Mr. Uvidna each put up $500,000 to a partnership that would bring Red Bull to the rest of the world. Note of the Week magazine, despite his estimated $5 billion in wealth, he was rated by some as the 205th richest man in the world, his lifestyle was the opposite of the adrenalized fun his drink inspired. He was a virtual recluse and gave no interviews for the last 30 years of his life, preferring to quietly tend to his private duck farm. And I would ask you biochemists and, uh, and, and pharmacologists out there to tell us more about uh, what taurine and glucuronolactone do for us. Because clearly it isn't just the caffeine that contributed to Red Bull's success. I've looked on the web to try and find out answers to these questions, and I'm coming up pretty short. I guess after 4. billion cans being sold with a value of $5 billion, uh, if there was some problems with taurine and glucuronolactone, we'd have figured that out by now. But I don't know. I wonder sometimes. Here's an item from NPR and the New York Times, which frankly makes me sick. Quoting from Gardner Harris in the Times, the Obama administration must warn drug makers that the government may soon ban agricultural uses of some popular antibiotics that many scientists say encourage the proliferation of dangerous infections and imperil public health, a federal magistrate judge ruled on Thursday. This order, issued by Judge Theodore Katz of the Southern District of New York, effectively restarts a process that the FDA began 35 years ago, but never completed. It was intended to prevent penicillin and tetracycline, widely used antibiotics, from losing their effectiveness in humans because of a bulk use in animal feed to promote growth in chickens, pigs, and cattle. This order comes two months after the Obama administration announced restrictions on agricultural uses of cephalosporins, a critical class of antibiotics that includes drugs like Keflex, which are commonly used to treat pneumonia, strep throat, and skin and urinary tract infections. Here's the part I don't get. Apparently, Shoban Delancey, an FDA spokesman, would not say whether the government planned to appeal the court order, saying we are studying the opinion and considering appropriate next steps. Noted Gardner-Harris, neither the judge's order nor the FDA's expected rule changes are likely to fundamentally alter the large-scale agricultural uses of antibiotics because farmers and ranchers now say the drugs are being used to prevent animal diseases, not to promote growth, which is a lie. 
When I would say that, I would note that that opinion, like all those expressed in this program, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regents of the University of California. But I'm going right back to my opinion. That is a lie. And I am utterly disgusted, as are pretty much every doctor friend I have, that this sort of practice continues while we are trying to conserve the use of antibiotics for use in humans. Poultry farmers, ranchers, those that have those feedlots down on I-5 are just pumping antibiotics through these animals. They're not doing it to treat specific illnesses. They're doing it because it's known to promote growth by mechanisms we don't fully understand. We will have more to say about that in the future. And in a happier medical story, more related to our obituary, in fact, comes this item. Swedish researchers have concluded that just one hour of exercise instantly changes your genes to boost the breakdown of fat. Apparently, Julene Zierath and Romain Barris at the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm and colleagues looked for epigenetic changes, the additions of methyl groups to genes in muscle cells during strenuous exercise. To do so, the team collected biopsies from the thigh muscles of eight men who led relatively sedentary lives both before and after an hour of exercise. Apparently, several genes involved in fat metabolism that were methylated before the exercise lost their methyl groups, and such demethylation allows genes to more easily make proteins, which suggests that more proteins involved in the breakdown of fat are being made after exercise. That's a bit of a jump in logic, but I suspect they're right. A sidebar of this piece, they noted the group was surprised to see those effects happening so quickly, and they think that calcium produced in muscle cells during exercise may be involved since subjecting the same biopsies to caffeine, which also increases calcium in muscles, caused the same demethylation. The researchers noted that unfortunately you would get caffeine intoxication before gaining the same effects from caffeine as from an hour-long workout. And as far as I know, there's no credible evidence that Red Bull would substitute for exercise either. Another curious item, mostly mostly positive from the world of medicine, we have the uh, piece by Grace Rubenstein, the Sacramento Bee, noting that emergency rooms are now using navigators to steer patients to care and services that they need. Noted the piece, more and more these days, emergency room staffs see streams of patients who shouldn't be there. I can tell you, having spent a fair amount of time working in ERs, this this can be an amazing phenomenon. Noted the piece, there are uninsured people with sinusitis or ingrown toenails, parents who bring in babies with everyday problems like diaper rash and runny noses. Some patients are insured, but don't know who their assigned doctor is or can't get an appointment. The piece notes that at least one in four visitors to Sutter Health's emergency rooms in Sacramento has problems better suited to a regular doctor's office or urgent care clinic. So, they've created a new job description, the Emergency Department Navigator. Full-time navigators station themselves in the ERs at Sutter General and Sutter Memorial. They cover the peak hours when patients tend to arrive with non-urgent complaints, which is between noon and about 8 p.m., seven days a week. The hospital staff alerts the navigators to any patient who doesn't have good prospects for follow-up care, such as those with no insurance, who aren't enrolled in a primary care doctor or have mental health problems, or, or who are homeless. The navigators visit those patients' bedsides and offer to help connect them with insurance, doctors, services, and housing. 
This sounds like a pretty sensible idea to me, and I'm just, uh, I'm sorry it's taking this long for someone to figure this out. Speaking of being homeless, I want to comment uh, in the weeks to come, not so much today, about uh, the piece by Cynthia Hubert in the Sacramento Bee about how local attorney Mark Marin has found a way to turn his advocacy for the homeless into a very handsome payday. This comes via a class action lawsuit, or rather a settlement of, to avoid uh, further furtherance of this lawsuit, regarding people whose belongings were supposedly destroyed or maltreated during raids on homeless camps. Apparently, Mr. Marin's got the city to settle for $488,000 worth of compensation for said items. I wonder if he gets the lawyer's usual one-third of the settlement. Hmm, I wonder. Say, homeless advocacy may, may be one of the area's few growth industries in the past decade or two. Final item in obituary number two, which I think will be a brief one, is um, a noting of the passing of Whitney Houston. For a full treatment of this, we would refer you to the current edition of Rolling Stone, which tells the tragic story of the decline and fall of Whitney Houston. The direct cause of her death was apparently drowning in a hotel bathtub, but it, but it does seem that she suffered a heart attack, which led to the drowning, undoubtedly due to years of cocaine abuse. She was, without a doubt, a truly talented woman. I, I did have a chance to see her at the Arco Arena in a, circa 1991, and I must say, she put on one hell of a show. She had a voice that was described by some as a national treasure, and I have to say, I don't think that was an exaggeration. She was given uh, good material to work with by people that wanted to promote her, but she made the most of it. I think maybe the greatest tribute that the one could, would pay to her would be to close this program with uh, one among her, her many great songs. And Mr. Merlin, I don't believe we could do better than to choose the greatest love of all. Our thanks to DJ Letch a.k.a. Jessie Schmidt, for a wonderful talk. We highly recommend her program to you, Intercourse on Intercourse. Heard Mondays at 8.30 a.m. on KDVS. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. Before I go, I do want to congratulate David Watts Barton for the excellent job he did over at the Insight program. David will be heading off to the Big Apple. We wish him well and hope we can maybe get a report from him from New York City. We've said it before and we'll say it again. When it comes to interviewing musical guests, there's nobody better than David. We hope on next week's program to bring you an interview with Dr. Ivan Schwab, UC Davis ophthalmologist, about his fascinating book, Evolution's Witness. Dr. Schwab has studied the eyes of creatures going back to the first animals on Earth and uh, has some jaw-dropping facts to tell us about. We're looking forward to that one. We'll see you next week. I believe the children are our future Teach them well and let them lead the way Show them all the beauty they possess inside Give them a sense of pride to make it easier. Let the children's laugh 
Everybody's searching for a hero People need someone to look up to I never found anyone who fulfilled my needs A lonely place to be And so I learned